This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. The Buck Sexton Show. Kim, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Buck. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. You know, Good. rocking and rolling on a Friday here. So we've got two excellent pieces of yours in the journal, both of which are dealing with primary policy issues facing the Trump administration right now. Uh, first, let's start with don't wimp out on climate. If Trump doesn't dump the Paris Accord, his economic agenda is in jeopardy. Where where does the whole climate fight in the, with the administration stand right now? And what are some of the issues you address in the column? This is what's alarming, and it's why I wrote it, because you'll remember that Trump was very vocal and adamant when he was on the campaign trail that one of the first things that he was going to do was uh, remove the United States from the Paris Climate Accords and also stop sending money to various United Nations uh, green climate funds as well, too. Uh, I'm now hearing that there is a growing contingency within the White House is pushing instead to, to not withdraw from Paris, saying that that would be too big of an upheaval, cause too much international blowback. Uh, and you also had some alarming comments come from Rex Tillerson when he was at his hearing to become Secretary of State, in which he said, I think it's very important that the United States keep a seat at the table. Uh, so the column was an attempt to talk about what a very bad idea indeed it would be to just let Paris continue on. And what would be some of the what would be some of the negative effects of it? I mean, if we go if we decide or the Trump administration, I should say, doesn't uh, stand firm on this one, this would really affect not just the energy sector, but the economy overall. Well, here's the thing that I think people are confused about. There's been a lot of talk about the fact that these were, quote, non-binding commitments that we made. And that's been one of the arguments by those saying, just let it be, don't risk the blowback, because we're not required to these commitments anyway. The problem with that reasoning is that if you look out right now at the, quote, resistance, and everybody who is uh, pushing against Trump, one of their main new tools are lawsuits. And there have been attempts in the past and plenty of thought among environmental groups about filing lawsuits and getting courts to agree that pieces of paper that we sign, even if they weren't ratified by the Senate, should in fact be held binding on the country. And I can guarantee that a lawsuit like that will get fined, uh, submitted if Trump doesn't remove us from the Paris Climate Accords. And at that point, we will have major trouble for a lot of reasons. I mean, as it is, even if we were to enact the entire Obama climate agenda, we'd still be about 45 percent short of what we committed to do at Paris. 
uh, if President Trump moves ahead to get rid of that climate agenda, which he said he would, we're going to be about 70% short. So imagine if the Supreme Court suddenly comes out and says, you must follow through on these commitments uh, to, to Paris. What would that do to the economy? I also think it would leave in place uh, a framework that if the Democrats, let's say, in two years, the midterms have a, a surprisingly strong showing, or even for the next presidency, if it turns out to be a Democrat, which could be in four years, uh, then you would you'd have this agreement. And so to, to leave it in place, I, I don't think I don't think the argument that it's completely innocuous uh, holds much water based on what we've seen from the environmental left in the past and and present. That is an excellent point. And remember, too, we're dealing with courts that, uh, it, and for instance, a lot of um, Clean Air Act lawsuits and other things having to do with the environment are held in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. That's the court that Harry Reid made sure he packed with liberals before he left office. Um, we've got a Supreme Court where one of the reasons that we're even having this discussion about carbon is because back uh, in the 2000s, you had uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy join with all the liberals of the court to, to declare CO2 a pollutant. Um, and this is a guy who also is quite interested in taking his guidance from international law. So I don't think that there's any guarantee that if a lawsuit was filed, that they might not get some joy out of that and, and succeed in forcing the United States to accede to these commitments. I think there's also a symbolic point here as well, too. Paris was the ultimate example of the president operating outside of Congress and the law, uh, pushing us into a, 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 an international accord without having bothered to pass a law on climate legislation here in the country um, or, or following the will of the people, which generally don't want that. So it would also just be a strong message to say, we're not going to go along with that kind of unaccountable bureaucratic regime. And the EPA right now, there's some interesting tumult going on. Uh, you have people who are career employees, supposedly civil servants, that are reportedly reaching out to their senators and making a lot of noise and perhaps even preparing for a bit of uh, intramural resistance against uh, a Pruitt EPA chief. What can you tell us about what's going on there? So this is an incredible break with decorum to have uh, EPA employees actively lobbying their senators to vote no on a new EPA head, but it doesn't surprise me. There has been such hysteria over the Scott Pruitt nomination that people have completely lost their wigs. I mean, the reality is, is that, I mean, first of all, this is a very dangerous prospect. There are 15,000 EPA employees, and I would wager that about 14,995 of them oppose Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA and oppose a, an agenda that does not look like one that the Obama administration has. Um, and EPA employees have a lot of ability to sabotage within. If you can go back and remember Ronald Reagan's uh, first appointee to the EPA, Ann Gorsuch, who actually happens to have been the mother of the, the current Supreme Court nominee, uh, she was run out within about two years, in part because of resistance from EPA employees. So, so they have the ability to do a lot of damage. I think they'll be surprised, though, maybe when Scott Pruitt gets there, um, in fact, everyone should go to the Wall Street Journal later tonight. Uh, we have the first big interview with him. Uh, he's set to get confirmed today. Um, and, you know, he's got a lot of really interesting plans for the agency that might surprise them. Right. I mean, they're operating under the assumption that he's going to show up 
and basically say, everybody clear out. You know, we're, we're going to put uh, we're going to put charges on the foundation and, and, and turn this whole thing into rubble. I mean, that's from what I understand. That's their objection. They really believe that, except well, for the explosive part. But you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. He's going to destroy the agency. I mean, that doesn't make any logical sense. Look at Scott Pruitt. What do we know about Scott Pruitt? This is a guy who, yes, he sued the EPA 14 times. But did he do it because he hates the environment? No, because every one of these lawsuits was making the argument that the EPA had exceeded its statutory legal uh, rights to, to go and do what they were doing, whether it was the waters of the United States rule, whether it was their climate plan, that they didn't have the authority under the law to do this. So what we know is that he is a law and order kind of guy. Well, here's the reality. We do have laws on the books, Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, that do charge the EPA with enforcing that uh, and, and making sure that we, we do have an improving environment. And as a law and order guy, I would bet very highly that Scott Pruitt respects that. And in fact, we'll see that as his top job at the agency. I think this goes to the hysteria on the left around uh, around environmental uh, environmental protection in general, they always conflate disputes over climate change, response to climate change, uh, what the cost benefit analysis of that may be, uh, depending also on how much of a how urgent of an issue one may find it to be. There's also the well, what do we do about it? That that's an ongoing discussion. They always seem to then also think that because there's uh, a divergence between Republicans and Democrats on that issue, and, and the right and the left more generally that we don't care if people are dumping toxic waste in the rivers. You even have people like Bill Maher out in, out in uh, L.A. saying this on his show. You know, now they're dumping toxic waste into rivers, or that's, that's going to be okay. In fact, nobody's okay with that. There, there's no pro-poison me and, and have poison water constituency, <laughs> but the Democrats do, uh, or a contingent of the Democrats, do seem to believe this or at least say it. Well, yes, there is this conflation of the idea that if you don't believe that the climate is changing and the earth is in peril uh, and that you need to stop everything and, and grind the economy to a halt to do something about that, then you are anti-environment, which, of course, is nonsense. And I would point out that in terms of, of pouring toxic sludge into river, there's only one agency in the country that's actually managed to do that over the last couple of years, and it was the EPA. Um, so, you know, we've got some... <laughs> yeah bureaucratic mismanagement that needs to be dealt with as well, too. But I mean, th- there's a reality here, and this is why what you just said is so corrosive. You go out and you talk to an average American. Imagine talking to a, a person out in Washington State that's living near Hanford, Washington, which is a site of one of the largest and ugliest Superfund sites, the Hanford Nuclear Waste and that has been on the Superfund list for, I think, now close to 25 years. You ask them, which would you prefer that the EPA devoted all of its resources to, cleaning that up or inventing some more models on climate change? Yeah, there are real issues that the EPA handles and that there's bipartisan support for the EPA on this. But because climate change is, I believe, not to put any words in your mouth, Kim, it is effectively a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. Uh, it, it overshadows everything else. That becomes that the EPA is really just an institution uh, that is supposed to address climate change as its primary mission, as, as the number one mission. That's where there's the divergence. You know, no one says, oh, Flynn has uh, has poisoned uh, Flint rather has has poisoned drinking water. Uh, that's not something that we should care about or pay attention to. Th- nobody says that. <laughs> there seems to be this bizarre uh, 
uh, suggestion or or even statement that's made by many on the left, including politicians and people with real platforms, that the Republicans just want to get rid of the EPA entirely. And, and I just think it's it's counterproductive. We all agree we don't want uh, poison in our water and, and air that chokes us when we when we walk outside. Nobody wants that. No, and we all have to remember that the EPA hasn't done, has in fact, when it's been focused on its core mission, done good things. We've had remarkable environmental progress over the last 30 years. And that is in part, we all need to remember to th- uh, things like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act. It's also, we need to bear in mind, because this gets forgotten, uh, largely due to the actions that states themselves have taken in absence of the EPA or in cooperation with the EPA or in cooperation with each other. The cleaning up efforts in the Chesapeake Bay, that was a state-driven initiative. Uh, the efforts recently to Uh, deal with the habitat for the lesser prairie chicken and, in fact, keep it off the endangered species list, that was a state-driven effort as well, too. So, you know, I think I'd be even more cynical than you in some ways on on the global warming and and, uh, religion idea behind this in that not everyone but the kind of true believers in this the reason they focus on this issue is is not necessarily because they believe the world's going to end tomorrow, but because they understand that if you can make the climate argument, you can implement a huge number of other aspects of their political agenda. Because yeah, you, the government can do anything, over the it's it, and it's trying to save the world. Yeah, you know, you can justify anything in the name of dealing with climate, and you you do what the Obama administration did, which was turn the EPA into a, a supercharged and national super regulator that suddenly was able to tell you what kind of chainsaw you could buy and, and what kind of car you could drive and what kind of electricity you could get and how you make different products. I mean, it, it, it could get its hands on everything because energy is involved in everything. Kim, two things. One, I have to look up the lesser prairie chicken. I never even heard of that before. So, oh, is that what that was? You story said? Buck. <laughs> oh, I got to check this out about the lesser prairie chicken. I didn't even know that was a thing. So, thank you for giving me some Google homework. And also, can you come back uh, on on one of the shows? Maybe next week, the night show. I want to talk to you about healthcare and your column on it. But we're we're running we're running out of time here. Is that cool? Yeah, you bet. Very cool. You have fantastic. A good rest Kim Strassel, today. everybody, check out check out her book, The Intimidation Game. Go to Amazon.com, just type in the Intimidation Game, it'll pop up. And also, Wall Street Journal columnist Kim Strassel. Thank you so much, Kim. Good to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043.